Hey y'all, this is Steve Hill, knife maker in Texas, and welcoming you to Bladeology Podcast with Jeremiah Burbank at the controls. So hang on, it's pocket hot rod time. All right, we're going to jump into it like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology podcast. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas, and we are on this week with Johnny Stout. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I appreciate you uh, having me on here. Absolutely. I, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this, sitting down and, and talking about talking about knives and, um, and your work in particular. So, so tell us, how did, how did you get into knife making? Where did, where did it begin for you? Well, uh, knife making uh, started in about the mid-80s, but my passion and love for knives started when I was probably five years old. Uh, and I'll give you just a little bit of history on that right quick. Uh, I was raised in a <clears throat> real small town in West Texas named Fort Davis. My f- grandfather was a government trapper in those days. And, and this was before I went to started to school. So I've been going the trap line with him a lot of times. So he was always breaking the handle off a knife. And I was assuming that his boss would replace his knife when he wore one out or, uh, but it was always a case double, uh, double blade trapper. Oh, right. Right. So he would pass these old broken, knives off to me and I'd whittle out a stick and poke a hole in it with a piece of wire and I'd stick a handle on it and so anyway by the time I was probably seven or eight years old I had five or six of his knives that he had passed on to me but that was just when I started to school in the first grade well all of the kids back in those days carried a pocket knife so we would get out it lunch and recess and we would play different games with them you know stretch and mumbly peg and what all whatever most kids today don't know what those games are (laughs) but anyway that that goes way 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 back there but i never knew there was such a thing of handmade knives until the mid 80s and uh just happened to see one uh at a Thanksgiving meal we had one day and my brother brought out this knife and showed it to me and I thought, boy, that sure is a pretty knife. It was a fixed blade, mirror polished, the whole nine works. So um, I said, where in the world did you get that thing? He said, well, Jim makes these. I said, what do you mean he makes them? How do you make a knife? He said, yeah, he's got a shop there in his backyard and he makes them. I said, Nah, no way. But you know, um, he said, "Yeah." I said, "We'll go over there tomorrow if you want to." So he took me over there, and it was a couple of miles away. It was in the same town, so we went over there, and he gave me the shop tour, and um, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. When I left there, he'd sold me a an old one of his old grinders, a bandsaw, and two buffers. Oh, man. Jumped right in. <laughs> okay. All right. 
so that got me started. <clears throat> but I had a real job like most people back in those days. So I just fiddled with it, you know, in part time and as a hobby for years and years. And, um, oh, in the, I think it was 80, that was in about 83. In about 87, I got the job, I worked for a company and I got transferred to San Antonio. And uh, then I worked a couple of years and I was fortunate enough that I got a buyout on my, uh, and left the, co- left the company, you know. Oh, okay. So I started my early retirement. I think I was 40, 48 years old. And I'd been making knives for quite a few years just as a hobby. And I prowled around and I thought, well, I'll uh, look around for a job. And so I put a few interviews in here and a few interviews there and never thought of, never found anything that I really was passionate about. And a few weeks rolled by and uh, I just kind of had a conversation with my self one day and I said you know I had a good job and I didn't have to leave I think I'll try this knife thing for a while you know (laughs) had my little shop in the backyard so I started my kids were young Mm. so I started uh making knives and back in those days there were no knife shows to speak of there were a gun show around every corner which there pretty much still is at least in Texas so I started doing gun shows, you know, and taking my knives and I would sell knives and, you know, I'd go home and make some more and I'd, but I was making fixed blades back then. I'd never made a folder. Well, I'd made one, but it was pretty rough. But anyway, um, I did that for years. Got both of my kids out of school, went through college and knives paid for every penny of it. Oh, wow. So... Okay. I have stayed with it since. Uh, I've gotten away from, mostly away from the fixed blades. I still make one every now and then, or, you know, if I take an order or, you know, like right now is a good time because people are getting ready for Christmas and hunting season. And uh, it's a big thing in Texas, you know, with the hunting season. But uh, so I just... uh, Again, I was making primarily fixed blades, and I started making a few single blade slip joints, and I'd take them to a show, and I'd sell a few hunting knives and uh, skinners, and I'd bring my slip joints home. And I'd go home and make a few more of this and make a few more of that, and I'd go back, and I'd bring my slip joints home, my folders home, and I'd you know so this went on for quite a while and people would look at them but they're they weren't up to par so they would just kind of pass on them you know and this went on for quite a while probably a year or so and then all of a sudden it just kind of turned and people started buying my folders and I was bringing my fixed blades home but I didn't know what was happening. I just really liked it, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I thought it was just, okay, this is okay. But, you know, uh, then I found real people, uh, real collectors that would critique my knives and, and show me and tell me. And, again, I, I had no training whatsoever. I, 
I've self-taught pretty much. I've probably not been in more than four or five other knife shops other than my own since I started making knives, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, it's pretty much the same way today. I rarely <laughs> get an opportunity to go visit with someone else and spend time in their shop. But we got some good friends around Texas now that we sometimes we do spend a couple of days with one another. But uh, so anyway, that's kind of had all started and uh, once I decided okay I'm, I'm going to do this and uh, it's made me a pretty good living for a long long time and I'm I've never let myself think that the, that last knife is the best that I can do I'm thinking no that no I can do better than that so I just you know I just keep trying and and keep putting them out there and keep buy, people buy them and you know and for some for a product that no one has to have i have absolutely no complaints <laughs> none whatsoever it's uh it's certainly not a commodity right it's um it's uh it's a piece that somebody buys because they they fall in love with it and they have to have it exactly i mean the the transition from from fixed blades to to folders is always the that's the that's the jump right a, a lot of guys it makes more sense to, to get into folders, right? The the market for folders is, is sort of more interesting. Tell me, so you, you're saying you're self-taught. Um, how, how did the, did you handle any custom folders um, from, from other makers at, at any of these gun shows? Well, that far back, there, there wasn't very many. Uh, and if, if there were, I wasn't around them very much, but uh, as the years went by, then at least in Texas, there were some guys cropping up that were just magicians almost. Uh, some of them are not here any longer. Uh, Joe Caius was one, uh, Warren Osborne another. Uh, so eventually I did get to see top quality work and realize what it was you know fit and finish is the name of the game now to in today's market uh with with uh, youtube and and videos and all of the the schools and things that go on you know a person can learn some really really detailed work very fast you know fit and finish is the name of the game I don't care what kind of knife it is, fit and finish. So, um, you know, I, I see somebody that their work impresses me and I want to do what he does or what that person does. How'd you do that? Well, for a long, long time, people would not tell you how they did that. They were very, very you know, and keep that to themselves. But it's it's not necessarily that way now. Most of the people say, well, hey, come over here. Let me show you how I did this. Now, you know, they'll pull you aside and, you know, spend whatever time it takes. You understand? Are you getting what I'm saying? And and they'll do that now. They'll do that now. But it hadn't always been that way. So the, the hard times are over, I think, for the knife maker because <laughs> uh, there's just so much information out there and and the quality of work 
you know, what took me 10 years to learn, a guy can learn in six months now, you know. Right. But that's just kind of the knife business, I guess you'd say. You know, it, it, it is partially, and you're, you're absolutely correct about, about the, the knowledge base is vast and, and available at, at your fingertips in a moment, but time-tested fit and finish is not something that can be picked up via YouTube, right? I mean, that's, that's decades of, of looking at an object and understanding the, the parts of the object are just as important as, as the whole picture and making sure that it's, you know, like you said, it's, it's fit and finish or nothing else. One of the hard things about making a folder, uh, especially the, the type of folders I build now, where they're all basically screwed together, and you may have a pile of parts of 30 pieces there, and, you know, they have to fit. Everything has to fit, and, you know, um, that takes a lot of it, equipment. It's come a long way, too, you know. You, uh, the grinders we have now, the belts, the uh, everything that we use in our shop now is so far advanced compared, and it, it keeps getting better and better and better. But, um, you know, a fixed blade, you've got a blade and two slab handles primarily, you know, and a few pins maybe, and then you can expand on that, you can have a guard. And you can expand on that, and you can have a tapered tang, and you can expand on that, and maybe have some file work, and then you can expand on that, and maybe instead of having a uh, stainless or carbon blade, you could have a Damascus blade, and you can expand on that and have um, uh, engraving, and go and on and on and on. And what could have started out as a $150 field grade hunting knife could turn into a, or end up being a uh, $1,500 um, piece that a person probably wouldn't take out and use. Right, yeah. And I, and I think deep down, I, I, and I, I still make what I call a field grade knife to be taken out and used, but that's not my passion. You know, I like to, I like to build them because I like my work to be out and people using it where they're going to put it in their gun safe or they're going to take it out, you know, on their next hunt or whatever they're going to do with it. But um, anyway, those are just my kind of my thoughts and my ideas. That doesn't mean that they're universal because most people look at me and think, well, you old crotchety thing, you, you know, <laughs> this is the real world out here now. You, <laughs> you've been locked up in that shop for too many years. Well, I mean, I guess... Well, yeah, in perspective, right? Uh, I, sure. you know, I've I've talked to a lot of a lot of collectors and a, and a lot of dealers, and and I've had the, well, what do you carry kind of conversation, and and it turns out that, really, it it just depends on the person. I mean, I've I've met people who certainly collect you know high end art knives, and they just you know right in the gun safe is is where they live, and they come out at a dinner party once in a while, but you know I've I've met plenty of collectors who love art knives and and love high-end dress knives so much that they can't stand to not carry them and just use them all the time you know it's really there's two ends of the spectrum there i mean certainly some people can afford to you know carry around obviously art knives and that might be a little bit out of some people's you know budgets but i think the the love and the use of the object is is just as important um 
because essentially that's, I mean, that's why the creation of the thing is there is, you know, it's a cutting tool. Exactly. And, uh, it, it, my wife is the biggest knife nut that I've ever met. She's, she collects knives and she, she loves them. She's, she's never bored at a, in a knife show or gun show that we go to, uh, She's out buying knives. So oh, see, <laughs> shouldn't we all be as lucky? You know, yeah, that's, really. <laughs> uh, that's that's a that's a perfect perfect match there. Oh, I have to brag on her. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll say, can you watch my table for just a second? I need to go really, really bad. Well, I'm fixing to go over there and look at those knives on that table <laughs> over there. So you better hurry. <laughs> there you go. Um. So okay, so so other other Texas makers, so um, right, uh, Warren Osborne, and Joe Kyos, those guys are just kind of well known in our in our industry, just a little bit. Um, was that uh, give us a time frame? I mean, there there must have been a point where right, you were making field grade folders, and then, you know, by field grade I mean you know not not dressed, and then at some point yeah. there was a transition to sort of what more more people might be familiar with your work now which is the definitely the the higher dress knife tell us a little bit about that transition well i guess the first really really nice uh knife that i actually got to see put my hands on was when i was still working and i got to visit joe kais's shop when he lived down in the rio grande valley one time i was working down there and called him up and introduced myself over the phone and uh, he invited me to come out to his shop. So I did. And so he started showing me stuff that I'd never seen before. And I'd only freehand hollow ground up until that time. And I saw Joe pick up a little fixed blade and uh, we were just chatting and he picked it up, started grinding on it. And he was flat grinding on a work wrist. And I thought, Holy moly, I've died and gone to heaven now. <laughs> I've never seen anybody grind on a work rest before. So anyway, we, we visited back and forth, and uh, I ended up buying a surface grinder from him while I was there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so that that was my downfall into buying more shop equipment for my shop was that surface grinder. And he actually delivered it up to where I live now in New Braunfels, Texas. And, uh, uh, but... I got to see quality work it, and I'd never seen it before. So I didn't know, you know, I, I thought my knife, my work was good. Right. But I'd never seen good handmade work before. You know, you see uh, factory knives and displays and everything and they're nice and shiny and pretty. And, uh, but I'd never seen a really, really high quality um, knife like Joe Kais made. Um, the equipment, um, it started out, I had one old square wheel grinder, the one I bought initially when I told you I went to visit right. the shop. Um, and that thing ran wide open all the time. I never <laughs> heard of variable speed before. Um, but um, it... Um, it just has evolved. It's taken me, I guess, all of these years to get to where I am today, wherever that is. I don't know. But I, 
I'm, I'm one of the guys that, look, I want to build what I want to build, okay? And thankfully, <laughs> what I want to build, there's a lot of, there's enough folks out there that want it that I'm going to continue to do, to do what, what I'm doing, you know? And, um, and I think, I mean, th there's a whole new wave of knife makers coming along now with forges and fire and, um, and I see them really getting into it and doing some really good work. My, my own personal beliefs is that you need to know how to make a knife before you, try to forge a knife, but that's, again, that's just me. Um, I don't, I don't think that's inaccurate at all. I mean, I think it, the basics are, are always very important. Well, uh, my work has evolved. Like I said, I've, I've never stuck with the flip, the slip joint part of it. I, I've evolved what I'd consider over into the liner locks and the automatics and, but I still make slip joints. Matter of fact, I'm, finishing one today, uh, or probably finish it tomorrow. And I've got a backlog of three or four of them. But one of the things that I'm finding with all of this shutdown, there's a lot of people that are staying at home and they still want to shop, uh, but they're not shopping for the high end stuff as much as the mid price, at least for me, I, I'm not sure how it would be universally, of course, but, uh, so um, my work has has kind of evolved, like I said, from from the uh, uh, basic fixed blades. Uh, I've I've got into, uh, and I have a I have a uh, maybe it's a brain block. I don't know what it is, but I. I can look at a knife and, and, and I, I know a knife that's well made when I see one, but I see a lot of knives that have no character to them. And I'm not sure how to describe that, but in my mind, what's pleasing to the eye, pleasing to your eye is gentle curves and arcs. And I, a lot of the knives that I see today are not like that, they're straight. So there's there, there's nothing appealing to my eye. Uh, gentle arcs and curves. That's what that's what I get off on. You know. I mean, I would I I would agree that a, a lot of the a good deal of the modern work can be very um, derivative. Um, a lot a lot of a lot of titanium. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of harsh lines. I don't know if that's a a rebuttal to to you know previous designs or not but it's certainly i've i've had this conversation with others uh of just we kind of just throw around the 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 knife is lacking soul right it's lacking character it's lacking personality um there's just something that's uh lost in translation so to say i haven't heard it said that way but i i totally agree uh I mean, I can see, I mean, like I said, I, I know a well-made knife if I, I don't necessarily know it if I see it, but if I pick it up, I can, just like yourself, I'm sure you know a well-made knife when you have one in your hand, but, uh, 
but I don't, I don't know, you know, to me, I have to please me is try to please my customers. And, um, but the thing that, if it doesn't appeal to my eye, the knife is unappealing. I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's certainly reasonable. Um, so, uh, Right, so slip joints, folders, and my favorite of the bunch, um, automatics. Automatics. A- automatics. Uh, okay. Knives with springs. Yep. Um, tell us how, how did how did that come to how did that come to be? Okay. Do you know who Larry Chu is? Yes, indeed. Yep. Okay. To me, Larry Chu is probably the most innovative automaker out there. And maybe it's has been out there ever. I mean, that's his mind. Yeah. He he can he can visualize something in his mind and he can build it. That's it. And if you've never had him on your program, he would be a hmm, hidden. He's you may uh, never ever, you may <laughs> never get him off. <laughs> he's he's scheduled for February. So <laughs> Oh, hey, super duper. Good deal. Yeah. Well, what I can tell you about autos, then, I learned from Larry. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, years ago, um, again, after I'd been into the folders for a few years and uh, met Larry at a, at a, actually at a knife show one time, and he come wandering through with this little knife that had bear, uh, roller bearings in the blade, and I thought, man, I ain't never seen nothing like that before. <laughs> but it was a liner lock. And we became friends, and over the years we uh, run into each other pretty often at the shows. And uh, he, again, he still had a real job, and so he was working. So it was just, you know, part-time for him. So anyway, uh, we, he invited me up, and uh, he lived in Dallas then, or right out of Dallas there. So he invited me up, and I went up there and spent a few days with him, and he showed me how to build the first uh, double action and I, that's the mechanism that I still use today. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, now he's, he's expanded on that one mechanism. He's got a half a dozen of them now, I think, but I've been able to stick with that one. And I've got, I think five different models of autos that I use that same mechanism on, you know, it's a push button. Um, with a, a kick spring, leaf spring in it. They're not easy for me to make because I'm not a machinist and everything that I learned in a ma- do, do uh, to the machines that I have to use, I had to, I've learned on my own, but, but I can build them. They take me a lot of time. Uh, I don't build a lot of them because that puts it in that really, really high end market, at least for me, and it's pretty small. Uh, but, uh, I guess they're actually one of my favorites, uh, as far as the, the total package, you know, cause I, again, I, I don't make a, what I call a black and gray when I make a, a nice one, you know, and usually they'll be engraved with Damascus here and Damascus there and, uh, nice engraving high in, um, ivory or pearl something like that on it you know which all of that material jacks up the price 
considerably also, you know. So the higher you get, the thing like that smaller that market gets. Oh yeah, I think it. I think I guess it, it depends greatly on where that where that market might be. Um, I think that there's a, a resurgence of of interest in um, in high end automatics, at least for for where I'm for where I'm sitting. I, th- I think everybody has a a different customer basis, but I, I certainly see a lot of a lot of interest in um, in that style coming coming back lately. Well, it's it's. Uh... I think it's a small uh, bunch of guys that are doing it, uh, at least to my knowledge. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't know too many of them, but I know there's there are knife makers that are doing unbelievable work. The ones that are really scary are the ones from overseas. The quality, <laughs> the quality of work those guys are doing is yeah, fantastic fantastic thankfully the um the market for for automatics is is still a a u.s based only um market for now i mean collectors the world over but um but mostly the the super high-end automatics remain in the u.s i mean we've got uh less than less than 10 active knife makers working in the field of automatics currently so i mean that gives really? you an idea, yeah that gives you an idea of oh wow you know the the scarcity drives demand i find anyway um but yeah so so you're talking about yeah um using right natural materials um what would you say that you you prefer uh the pearl and the um and the ivory i think to me those are the two most high end natural handle materials that I can put on a knife. <clears throat> now here's the way here's the way I look at a knife. And people kind of think I'm kind of stupid when I say this. I said I can make a knife that's plain Jane and it'll perform and it'll do any and everything that that knife is designed to do. And I can sell it for I'm just going to throw a number out there. I'm going to say $500. But I can take that knife, that, and I can change the blade from basic material, which possibly will be stainless, to uh, Damascus blade, maybe even a commission piece, which I I do commission Damascus from a lot of makers. That that's what they do. They make steel. Uh, Ivory handles, uh, Damascus back bar, firework liners, anodized liners, uh, engraved bolsters, uh, and on and on and on. So I've taken that same knife that I could have sold for five and dress it up, maybe sell it for 5000 The example that I use, I said, well, you can see this beautiful woman and she comes out to hair and rollers and uh, got her nightgown on and no makeup and uh, you know she comes in and you look at her well then she goes back and gets dressed comes out all gussied up hair fixed makeup lipstick that ain't the same woman (laughs) (laughs) well that's the way i look at these knives you know the the price of dinner just tripled (laughs) 
you <laughs> you dress them up, and uh, I think things that are appealing to the eye demand at least a second look, and a lot of times they'll demand somebody. I've got to have this, you know. So it's not just like it's the only one in the world, but it's yours, and it's something that they like, something they see, and uh, a lot of times they'll take it home with them. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. You, you've got to. You've got to. Um, right. You've got to buy dinner, fall in love, and then and then take it home. That's yeah. the that's the progression of. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, the the mechanism would be the same, no matter materials or not. But if I'm going to spend that much time on one, if I don't, I mean, unless I intentionally build it to be taken out and used and abused and you know put up and not taken care of versus something else. But I, I mean, that's not what I enjoy doing. I, I enjoy building a knife that is going to somebody's eyes are going to pop out when they see it and you know hopefully they'll appreciate it enough that they will and so far i've been very fortunate that there's been enough people out there that i think i'm down to two knives or two folders right now and it's probably the lowest my inventory's been and forever and one of them happens to be in auto oh there we go i'm 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 loving it it's uh some something about uh, automatics. The it's the mechanical contrivance almost that uh, I just it's very appealing. Um, the the press button, the, the blade fires, and it and it locks in a place is uh, it's just it's it's mechanical at its at its best um, for sure. Yeah, I think so. And uh, not being a machinist, I'm I'm not. You know, if it's very complicated, I'm I'm not going to be able to do it or figure it out at least without, you know, some really really struggles. Uh, but like I say, I've got the one mechanism and I've stuck with it. It's it's basically foolproof, fail fail safe and foolproof. And it's Larry's one he taught me. And like I said, I've got five different models now that I use that same mechanism on, and uh, each one of them has been very very successful Hmm. so a a lot of a lot of your knives um feature right very very detailed engraving and and the thumb studs of some of the manuals are particularly interesting the way you finish them um can you tell us a little bit about that um the the turning process or, or or the inlays that you choose uh well on the thumb studs i i make those myself uh, a lot of times I'll make I've got a little lathe in my shop and I'll turn a I'll turn a rod down uh, drill it and tap it and then I'll flute, flute the stem on it one way or the other um, depending on what my handle material is I'll take a little tiny piece of that maybe a little scrap piece and I'll super glue it to the end of a little rod. Let's just say uh, eighth inch. Well, we'll go a little larger. Say a three sixteenths round rod of some sort, super glue it on there. Then I'll turn that down 
and then I'll counterbore the head of that thumb stud, then set that cabochon down in there, put that on the lathe, and then turn that down and blend it in and polish it. Um, so that's that's the way I do my own thumb studs normally. I just make them myself and uh, try to try to use the handle material that I've got on the knife, you know. And and I do the same thing for my push button. I'll counterbore that and inlay a little piece of the handle material in there. So I'll have a piece of uh, one in the thumb stud, one in the uh, push button, and uh, then my handle material, you know. So it all kind of, nothing contra... It's, uh, it matches wonderfully. I, I really, I appreciate, I appreciate the... Um... The dress, the the thumb studs are amazingly turned, and then to have the push button and the thumb stud, it's all it all flows very very nicely, very 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 well. Um, and then so the the file work you were talking about earlier, um, how did that? Tell us a little bit about how that developed. Uh, you know, file work is one of those very specific things that everyone has their own style. Some people were influenced. Um, Tell, tell us a little bit about that. I've seen some file work that, that is just a, the file work itself is just a work of art. And I've, I've tried to, I've, 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 I've looked at some of it and I've tried to copy it and I, I don't have the knack to get it like that. So over the years, I've just kind of found out what works for me. I do a lot of rope, a lot of mind. I do a lot of Damascus, uh, like for backspacers, and then I'll uh, etch that, and that just makes the file work just jump out that much more for you. You're not only seeing the pattern of the Damascus, but you're seeing the pattern of the of the file work, whether it's a rope or a, a vine or, or whatever it is. Um, and I just use my regular uh, round chainsaw files that I have, you know, you, I go from a, maybe a three uh, thirty seconds, to eighth, uh, three sixteenths, yeah, sometimes a quarter, but rarely ever get that big. And uh, I just freehand scratch a pattern on there, and then I try to follow it. So it's nothing real sophisticated or anything, and it just takes takes a little time and patience because. It, it's kind of boring to be honest with you to sit there and, and doing that for but you know you're not doing but a you know four or five inches three or four inches depending on the size of the knife but uh again i i it's it's one of those things like i was talking about a while ago dressing this thing up uh rather than just a plain backspacer whatever it is well gussy up the backspacer uh Instead of just plain liners, uh, you know, dress up the liners, you know, anodize them. And I'm starting to do a new process, and I'll have to give credit where credit's due here from uh, Don Hansen. Uh, he was doing a little technique on um, where he was doing a various colors up and down the, the his liners on the back. And uh, so uh, I looked at that, and I thought, well, that's... That just really looks good, so I've kind of copied that from Don and give him all the credit for it. Hmm. 
yeah, Don Don is uh I totally I, I love his knives as well. They're mm-hmm. you know the epitome of of simple, straightforward beauty and function. That's yeah. that's the you know He can do uh, it all. Man. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's really far out. Yeah. Um so yeah, new process. That's that's all that's always good. Um so and and as we're talking about these the the style of dress that you that you put into these knives, um, because of because I think of because of the era and also because of of the the more finite finishing that you're working with, you rarely see you don't you don't actually use a lot of um, our modern mokutais or makumes. You really I mean stainless engraved. Uh, I see a lot of mammoth tooth. Um, do you do you not prefer the mokutai, or is it really? It's just you can't really engrave mokutai like you can like a four sixteen. I have used it in the past. Uh, I haven't in quite a while. I I like it. Um, even though the 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 color and uh, what you can get out of it. Even though all of that beauty is there, to me it's just it's still just a plain flat surface. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, it it is beautiful, and, and the guys that are doing it, they're doing a fantastic job of it. But uh, I uh, I don't know. I to me anymore, I feel like at least my knives they're kind of naked if I don't have them engraved now what really got me hooked on engraving was a few years ago well it's been quite a few years ago uh, a a knife maker uh, he's semi-retired now I think a guy named Jim Small he and I did oh I bet we've done hundreds of projects together but he had a he had a uh, um well, it was his style, his technique that I really, really liked. And I'll have to tell you a quick story. He did a knife for me one time, and uh, there was a little local knife show that was down in Brownsville, Texas. So it was down there for the bunch of us boys from South Texas were down there. And so this fella came through, and uh, he saw this knife on my table, and he looked at it, and he looked at it, and he looked at it. It was an automatic my uh zodiac and uh this was on a saturday and i thought well he's just gonna buy that darn thing well he didn't but he came back the next day he handed me a uh, a piece of black and white paper that uh had uh, he said i got this from my engraver last night and I looked at that piece of paper, and it was uh, engraving on a shotgun. And that he was having a, he was a wealthy, wealthy old man from down there. He says, uh, "My, I'm having a custom shotgun made in Belgium, and that's the engraving that's on that knife." He said, "That's the same engraving that's on your knife." <laughs> I mean, he said the same engraving on my shotguns is the same engraving on your knife. So he bought that knife from me just because of that. Later on, I was telling Jim Small about this. He lives over there in uh, Georgia. I told him that story, and he said, you know what? 
He said, I took an engraving class one day at the University of Georgia, and my instructor was from Belgium, and he said, I bet you a thousand dollar bill that that's a guy that I learned that technique from. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But anyway, that's what hooked me on uh, having my work engraved was just just the fact that I, I and I collaborate with with a lot of other artisans, just engravers. Uh, like I've got a billet that uh, David Lish. Uh, paid for me that's coming in in the next few days for some of his feather pattern Damascus and I've collaborated with Julie Warinsky and I mean just on and on and on Veronique Laurent from overseas and uh, but I, I I really appreciate the work that other artisans do and I I love to you know have their work in my my knives you know yeah, certainly the artistic collaboration is, you know, it's like a flexing of a very special muscle that only a few people have in common. And that's that's the certainly the 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 high artistic uh muscle, you know, especially with engravers or or right or steelmakers mm-hmm. for a, mm-hmm. for a specific project. The the zodiac that you mentioned um just for just for the for the folks for the folks at home. Um so that that has a thumb stud and it has a push button. Is that is the zodiac? Would that be considered a double action then? Yes. Okay. Yes. All all of my mechanisms are double action. See what I do. If I'm not sure if you you know how that works on that mechanism, but there's a leaf spring in there, and when when you close the blade, it cocks that leaf spring, and it rises up, 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 and then the button pushes pops out. It's got a coil spring in the button. The button pops out, and that leaf spring is resting on top of the button. So now it's a liner lock. You know, it's built as a liner lock. So now you can open it, close it manually. So there, that's where you get your double action. You know, then you push the button, the leaf spring releases, kicks the blade out. So, but the Zodiac is the mechanism, or that's the first one that I had uh, that I learned from Larry Chu. The blade stop is not the thumb stud, correct? It is. It is on that knife. It is. Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. All right. Yeah, on the Zodiac. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's got it's got a dual thumb studs on it, and the the thumb stud the uh, yeah the buttons are the the stop. Now on some of the other ones, I've got a internal uh, stop inside there, but the mechanism is the same. Other than that, um, so the the development of of the engraving and the collaborations um what would you say uh, as far as collaborations go um how many just as a for instance is there one knife that exhibits the the most collaborations via steel engraving um is is there one that would stand out um to you in, in your build history I guess the one that mo- the most recent that kind of made a splash. Uh, you're familiar with the group Knife Rights, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So last year I collaborated for Knife Rights to build a knife for the 
NRA auction in uh, Nashville. I invited Julie Warinsky. All of this was donated for knife rights to engrave it. And I mentioned Veronique Laurent. Uh, she made the steel for it. And it was an auto. Well, due to the coronavirus, the NRA convention got canceled in, I think it was in Mar early March, in, in Nashville. So that knife was going to go on auction there to raise money for the NRA Legislative Action Committee, I think is what that was for. Anyway, um, Doug Ritter worked out a deal with uh, Rock Island Auction Service to auction that knife off. Money still going to the NRA. So the auction, it was valued at between... I think $7,500 somewhere in that price range, if I remember right. And uh, so Doug and myself, we were thinking, okay, we hope it'll bring that much. Well, it went on the live auction, and the auction lasted 22 seconds, 23 seconds, I think. And it auctioned for $35,000 plus a 15% buyer's royalty. So it was, uh, I think, well, I think 42500 So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that, that's the one that sticks in my mind right. the most because I'm, I'm thinking, okay, maybe you could kick a little of that back to the makers over here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that didn't work out, though. Uh -huh. But right. no, uh, that's that's the one that that sticks in my mind because it's the most recent. But it was a sure. beautiful knife, Julie. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how familiar you are with her work, but yeah, it's just very much it's so. just unbelievable that a, a human being can do that quality of work. <laughs> and Veronique, uh, she forged the blade steel for me and sent it back over here from where she lived. And anyway, I built the knife, and then. Uh, turned it over to Doug and then all of the events started happening but uh bottom line it 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 turned out okay for uh right right for knife rights and for the NRA which I was that's what it was for you know and they ended up getting the money out of probably maybe more than what it would have brought it at their auction but you know you never know but but uh, you know I've had some commission pieces that uh I'll have to tell you about a, one series of knives that I have. It's a, it's called the Legacy, and uh, I mentioned Warren Osborne's name a little while ago. Well, Warren was, in my opinion, probably, well, he's the best knife maker I've ever met and ever known. Um, but he had a little small, just a liner lock, but it was. I really like that little knife. I mean, so here about maybe two years ago, something like that, well, I had an idea that I'd like to make a knife using that model. Uh, but before I did that, I wanted to get permission from his wife if, if she would, think that would for me to do that so I wrote her a 
letter and sent it to her and asked her what she thought about me making that. Uh, I wasn't going to make that same knife. I was going to blow it up and make an automatic out of it. So she ultimately agreed to let me do that. You know, had my permission, her permission for me to use Warren's name. You know. So anyway, I made that knife and uh, called the Legacy. And there's only going to be ten of those made. I think I've made three of them so far. And they've all gone to collectors, and I'm, I've probably got one coming up within the next few months. Uh, will be number four, but I think as far as the one that emotionally has the biggest impact on me is that one knife right there. It uses the same mechanism, that same Larry Chu design, uh, and I've just blown it up so it'll accommodate the spring, the push button, and the leaf spring, and. Uh, so that's a, that's a fun project that I'm I'm really proud of there, and just the fact that it kind of done in Warren's memory, you know. Yeah, no, that's I, I love that. Um, well, tell tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about your history with 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 Warren um, during his active years. You, you were saying that um, uh, himself and Joe Kios were in the texas area um warren lived in uh waxahachie and joe lived out of kerrville which is about 80 miles from me and um uh, me and uh harvey dean good friend of mine we host we host a hammering here at my shop and have hosted one for uh, twice, two times a year since, uh, well, the last one, which we were, was supposed to have been earlier this year, we had to cancel, but it would have been our 50th hammer in. So anyway, Joe and uh, Warren had been down several times and we had them down to instruct and to teach and uh you know you just get to hang out with some guys go to dinner with them and uh talk knives and that's about all knife makers talk about it seems like but uh uh but anyway just spending a little personal time with them sentiment shows uh you know slobbering all over their work and you know uh but both of them were just unbelievable unbelievable knife makers uh tommy overrinder is in that same group and he's he's his work is just off the charts but those three were probably the three best knife makers i've ever known and and two of them are gone but tommy's still and he's in there every day you know doing what he does and it just keeps getting better and better and better you, you know the it's the continuation of the work right um the legacy great name for the project you know carrying on the sort of traditional or his traditional style with the mechanism and your your influence and to just to have such a limited number of them i mean it makes it even more all the all the better you know uh yeah but 50 hammer-ins um tell us a little bit about that uh, when <laughs> that's that's a lot of hammer-ins um <laughs> well we, we started way back uh when when i moved on the property that i'm in now it's New, I don't know if, well, you, you don't know New Braunfels, but New Braunfels is just a sleepy little South Texas town when I moved here. But 
over the years, uh, it has grown, 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 grown. But I've got a place outside of town. I've got some acreage. So anyway, uh, there were no hammer-ins in the state of Texas back at those days. So uh, Harvey Dean and I, we were going up to uh, the ABS school or in uh, Arkansas. They had a hammer-in twice a year. So we we were going up there, and I was into forging back then and trying to follow the uh, hierarchy, you know, the journeyman uh, master, which I I didn't follow that after a few years. But so anyway, we had been to the ABS hammerings up there for several years, and we got to talking one day, and we said, and in that interim, I had moved out to this property I'm on right now, and I told Harvey one day, I said, you know, we ought to try to have our own hammering out here because I already had my, my forging shop set up and I had a hammer and a hydraulic press and, you know, the whole nine yards and, and, um, and just see if anybody could come, would, if anybody would come. So we kind of put the word out. I think we had 10 guys come in and uh, a lot of these folks had been going to this, just like we had, they'd been going to Arkansas to their hammering out there. So we started out with 10 and that, you know, when the weekend was over, well, everybody says, well, when are you going to have another one? Y'all have another one, have another one. So we did, we scheduled another one about six months. And the next one we had about, I don't know, 15 or 16 people, same thing happened. So it just kept growing and growing, and we got up to maximum, I think, about 30 people. It's about all I can accommodate in my shop. Uh, and we we have uh, bladesmiths from all over uh, come in and teach. Um, so there will be like five instructors, and so you can go to one class if if you're not interested in that one, you can go in the other one, you know. So it's pretty pretty loose. But uh, so we, uh, the, the one earlier this year is the first one we've missed since uh, I think 96 was when we had our first one, which was I moved on this property. And at the time, there was nothing, no other, uh, anything uh, fortune related in the state. Uh, and now there's quite a few places that are doing similar things. And uh, the uh, headcount is getting larger and larger, too, at these hammer-ins, you know, because Forged and Fire has just started a whole regime of new uh, bladesmiths out there. But it's a great place to learn if you're uh, being taught by a master bladesmith because those guys... They've been there and done that, and they know, you know, they know steel, so they can, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they, uh, trustworthy advice there. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it was, uh, it was a year with a lot of firsts. It's unfortunate to have, have missed, uh, the first one in so long, but I'm, I'm sure it will return even stronger, uh, as it sounds like it continues to grow. I think so. Um, I could say we've 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 brought some master smiths. Usually the master the the our instructors are master smiths, you know, and uh, they know stock removal, they know forging, they know it all, you know. 
and the 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 new guys, the young guys coming in, they're just like a sponge. You know, they just absorb stuff and just think, oh, I didn't know this. You know, I didn't know this was out there. I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know how to do that. You know, so it it's really, really, really been good for at least for our part of the country down here. You know, because we're kind of remote. Really, we're uh, closest city is San Antonio, I guess, and uh, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll as long as people want to attend, I guess we'll continue to try to have them. You know. Mm. Yeah. How's um? I was actually I was just. I was recently talking with um with Steve Hill actually who's also in Texas. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um he was he was talking about that that South Texas heat. Um I can't really imagine forging in that but uh <laughs> hey, y- you know, that's uh it's different. I'm a New Englander. I'm used to the cold. I guess you you're you don't mind the heat. It's it's the same thing. Well, you get somewhat used to it. Uh but we have one in uh well, both of them that we have, they're in the cooler part of the year, if there is such a thing in South Texas. But, you know, it's not the dead heat of the summer. Right. It's uh, it's still warm, just just not not quite as warm. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Transitioning right from hammer-ins and teaching and absorbing knowledge. Uh, you do a bit of teaching um, yourself. I do. Uh, I teach... Uh, hmm. Four, four different levels, I'd say. Uh, a basic class, which is for a guy right off the street, knows nothing. Uh, it's four days. Uh, tuition is $2,500, and there's no more than two per class. Uh, the student takes home a completed knife that they built from scratch themselves, and the skills, if they've got some basic knife equipment, to go back in their own shop and start making, you know, fixed blade knives. The hardest thing to learn in knife making, at least in my opinion, is how to grind the blade correctly. So we spend a lot of time. I spend days getting practice blades made. I cut them out myself out of bar stock, you know, just mild steel, profile them. And so I'll have them a stack of 25 or 30 blades there when they come in. So we, I start them off grinding, and they grind till they just want to throw it up and leave, or you know. But if they stick it out, after about two days, two and a half days, they will be able to hollow grind, and they'll flat can flat grind the blade. And then we take, or switch them over to real knife steel, usually some CPM steel of one blend or the other, and uh, then they'll grind that blade, and we'll heat treat it temper it and they'll finish it out and they'll take home a, their first fixed blade that they built from scratch and then for the uh, an advanced student or more advanced I you know you can take a slip joint pocket knife class you can take a lock back folder class or a liner lock folder class or the only thing I don't teach is excuse me teach is an automatic because uh, the mechanism and it just there's no way I could do it in a you know that short period of a time. It's been uh, it's it's it, I I enjoy doing it. It's a it's a lot of fun. I have a what I call an advanced class where a guy can come in and take that one day at a time, 
uh, and he can bring me a list of, okay, these are the things I need to work on today, or this is where I'm weak, or this is what I don't understand, and we'll we'll spend the day concentrating on just those individual items, you know. So they can come in, uh, and one guy, I always have to tell this story, he's uh, an attorney up out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area up there somewhere, but he has a hunting camp about halfway down here so when he wants to take a class he goes to the hunting camp one night or one day and hunts and lays over and then drives in here the next morning spends a day goes back to his hunting camp hunts for a day or two and goes back home so he gets a knife class and a and a hunt out of one day in the knife shop so but uh, well it, it takes so long to learn this stuff like I did, uh, you know, by hunting pack and just digging it out. But a little one-on-one -on -one instruction really can kick a guy on down the road a lot faster. Now you're saying for, or, or it sounds like for the, for the advanced class, that might be somebody who's already, already sort of a knife maker or someone aspiring to be a knife maker. So they well, might, they I, might bring in their own knife he can't uh, the advanced class can be pretty much anything uh, but if he's if he's struggling learning to grind uh, having trouble grinding his blades then that would be something we might uh, might concentrate on but it's like I said it's wide open whatever the, whatever he wants to do but they have they actually have to know how to grind their blade now they don't know how to don't have to know how to grind a perfect blade, but you know. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty wide open. But you can't take a new guy right off the street that knows nothing for one day and teach him really thing anything that's going to stick with him very long. You know, you can talk a lot and do demos, but the hands-on is where you learn. So, in in teaching, do you find is that almost, I don't want to use the term therapeutic, but is it, I mean, does that, is it fulfilling in, in a knife maker way to sort of, to, to like pass the knowledge on? You sort of see what I'm saying? I think it is for me for a lot, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, because I do want to pass it on to somebody that's interested enough. And if they're willing to pay for it, then I'm going to give them their money's worth. And, and it always makes me feel good when somebody down the road, it could be a year, two years, somebody's bragging on their work, and they'll say, well, where'd you learn that? Well, I took Johnny's knife-making class. You know, so, but, uh, yeah, it, it is very fulfilling because it's so, it's so satisfying to see a guy take a knife, to build his own knife, you know, and know where he where he got that skill from right so in in the same in the same vein um because you 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 do have a knife class i would imagine that was a more uh recent development but but over the years have you had apprentices no i've never i've never had an apprentice no okay all right um i've had offers for an apprentice but uh it I've talked to some other folks and it just doesn't work out because 
your apprentice doesn't know anything, so you spend all of your time teaching him what he needs to know, and, and you're not getting anything done. Right. So yeah. I, I've, I've known several people that have tried it, and it hasn't worked for them, and I'm, I think probably the same reasons it wouldn't work for me. Right, it's it's one of those things where where you're catching up on somebody else's work and then you're losing time working on your own work, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I'm al- I'm always saying that I'm too busy working to be working on someone else's work <laughs> while I'm working. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and so, so the knife class is a regular. Uh, I mean, obviously this year excluded. That's a is that a regular um happenstance for you i mean on on a yearly basis otherwise yeah it has been uh i normally schedule one week a month and i'll rotate the classes maybe one month i'll have a basic class maybe the next month i'll have a basic uh an advanced class maybe the next month i'll have a what i call a fine folder class which is uh we get it. This is for an experienced guy where we're going to build a high end knife, you know, fine fold. It's what I call them. Um, and, and so on like that. So, uh, and I try to keep it as flexible as I can on their schedule as well as on my schedule. You know, somebody calls up and say, well, you got this class here scheduled for these days, but I can't, I can't get off work for those days or whatever. And if I'm, if I can juggle my dates, I will for, you know, because I'm here all the time if I'm not gone for a show or something like that. But it's it's been it's been pretty successful, and I've had a, I wish I had have taken pictures of all of my students that I've had come through here. I'd probably have my whole, every wall in my shop uh, covered. So how many, um, how, how long have you been, have you been doing the the teaching teaching um probably 20 years oh wow all right so it, you've it got least. it you've got it patent down <laughs> that's uh well i i know what works for me and what works for me i can make work for someone else too the the like I said, there's, there's never more. I've had one occasion when there was, I had three students, but it was a father and his son that just graduated from high school and his other son that was a senior in high school. And they lived, they, they lived in Austin. And uh, the father had taken a class from me years ago. And he had a health issue that happened I don't remember if it was a stroke or something serious so he got out of knife making real early but anyway he brought his two sons over here and they took it all together and that was a fun class to do because it was there was so much camaraderie there between he and I because we'd been together before but it between he and his sons too you know it, it was it was really great but normally it's just normally it's just two you know one or two sometimes I'll do one but no more than two. Yeah. No, I, I would imagine that would be, uh, that sounds like fun. That's, that sounds like uh, a great father, father-son father thing to do. Oh, yeah. Um, well, so so for 20 years, um, how many of the famous knife makers that we know have secretly taken your class, man? Come on. <laughs> oh, anybody, uh, 
Any anybody we we might we might know? Um, oh, I'd have to see a list. I can't remember. Take, take an oath of secrecy. That's fine. I understand. There, there have no. There's uh, there's some guys out there now making. They are making outstanding knives, unbelievable knives. Um, but I, I'm at a loss now that you asked me the question. I, I've had so many that it's hard. It's hard to say, and a lot of them I don't. I, I, I'm not able to track because I had one. I've, I've had guys come from one guy come in from Alaska. I got one guy coming in February from Florida. I've had other people from. Oh, I've had them from far, far, far away. So I don't know much. You know, after they leave here, uh, since they're not close to keep track of them. But I mean, that's that's such a neat. Uh... I, that sounds, I don't know. That's a great way to pass to pass on the knowledge to create more knife makers, right? Uh, to to keep the the industry, the the passion, the hobby sort of continuing. Um, like like you said in the in the early days, um, which I I do hear from from a lot of people that I talk to, which is you know this wasn't this is sort of friendly group of guys sharing information. It was actually competition which is fine you know yeah that's, you it, know it, it was it was a financial you know these are my customers this is my knife i don't want to tell you you know and then you have you have youtube and then you know the the finality of the one-on-one class where like you're yeah. saying is if if you want to know bad enough i will teach you you know that's you know let's do it um, one of the one of the things that i've kind of noticed over the years is uh <clears throat> i get quite a few people that are retired military they've never had a a hobby before and they're young men you know if they go in when they're 18 20 years old you know and they're 40 42 years old they can retire you know but they've been jumped all over the world their whole career now they're at home they so i get quite a few retirees from the military and i get a quite a few guys just from being retired at 65 or so, you know, and, uh, they never had a chance to have a hobby or something, but they've, you know, they're successful. They've got their home and, you know, some of them may even have a shop or a big garage or something. So, uh, so I do get a, I do get a lot of those guys that are just looking for something to do, you know, and they, something they're interested in, but, I really enjoy them. I've never, I've never had one person through this shop in any of my classes that, that I, I wouldn't consider as my friend from now on. That just the camaraderie, the relationship that seem like knife makers have. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a similar right. It's a similar mindset um, for an individual to put themselves in a situation where they spend a great deal of time alone in a shop uh working on a single item for an extended period of time it's um yeah it's uh a lot of music i would imagine or uh, <laughs> yeah you, you know exactly the, the radio when, when necessary um but yeah it's it's a different way to it's a different way to earn a living for for sure you, you were talking about before uh commission pieces do you 
you know, some some makers do take orders. Some makers build speculatively. Um, do you find yourself still just building what you want, um, or you're sort of also? It sounds like you're also during these times taking orders for less dressy options. Well, I've always taken orders, uh, but up until this year. Um, and I'd say probably at least the last 10 years, uh, like we've been doing, we've been doing like five or six shows a year. So you're constantly coming back from a show, getting ready for the next one to come back from that one to get ready for the next one, you know? And, uh, but I, I do take orders. I do take orders and I, I, I love orders because that way you can build, you can get into a person's psyche, into his mind and, you know, and you tell me what you want and then let's talk about how we get you there, what you want, you know, materials and, and, and a lot of them don't understand the materials that we use today uh, unless they're, you know, more knife related, uh, knowledgeable than the average guy. But, you know, you can tell them about all the different handle materials you have, all the different steels that are the options, you know, and on and on and on and on and on. So he could, you know, my order blank, I have it listed that way, you know. Uh, so I can build them a very, very, very custom order, and it'll be one of a kind because no one else will ever have one that same way, you know. So I do take orders. I do require a deposit on anything like that. But uh, I, I still build inventory knives too, you know, just to take to shows. And I try to, I never have many on my table at a show. I think the most I've had in quite a while was maybe six knives, you know, on the table. But, uh, and now I'm down to two. So I'm, I guess I'm going to get my rearing gear. <laughs> uh -oh. I, I got to say, um, the speaking of, of, having knives available i was i was looking earlier today on, on your website and i saw a beautiful doctor's knife with uh traditional scales but it, it it featured some engraving and i just thought it was a a great way to have sort of um to have a, a traditional style sort of practical doctor's knife with a little bit of engraving really turns it up just the right amount because it you know i think it still had a um, a, a mammoth bone or, or or pick bone handle, but it also had engraving, which I just it was it was a great great mixture, you know, without going you know full bore Damascus, just a mm -hmm. you know a beautiful polished blade, um, with the tool. Oh, uh, I guess a spat. It's not really a spatula. What what would what would they call the um? Uh, I think that is that blade that uh, in that doctor's knife is a spatula. Is a spatula? Blade. Okay. Yeah, a lot of them will have a like a spear point and a spatula, and I've made them both ways. I don't remember that particular knife, but but yeah, yeah I've made uh, I've made a few of those, and, and <laughs> never one for a doctor before. But <laughs> funny, funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the doctors that might have used that are are no longer uh practicing probably um, <laughs> although i do have a couple of good doctors as collectors so thankfully for that yeah matter of fact i'm shipping one out to one tomorrow there we go 
Yeah, it's 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 such a nice uh, balance to see a maker able to pull off right just a like a, a trapper stainless uh, polished blades and scales, and then you know the other end, which is the full dress automatic. It's it seems like you've sort of mastered both ends and uh, everything in between, which is quite impressive. Well, there's there's uh, I think there's something out there for everyone. It just it just depends on first of all budget is a lot of it, you know. Uh, uh, wants and needs what uh, depends on a style that someone wants that maybe someone else doesn't do. Uh, but yeah, there's gosh, there's so many good knife makers today. It's just it just amazes me that uh, they, they are out there, you know, and the learning curve is just, you know, I went to sleep last night and I woke up this morning. Now I know how to make a knife, you know, one of those kind of deals, it seems like. But no, there, there's just there's just a lot of a lot of the older guys now, their their work is even better than ever. I mean, they're still doing good work. But I mean, they've been, they're not old necessarily in age, but they've been knife making for a while and their work is just, I think if you stay with it, the passion just gets more passionate, you know, and and you can apply that to your work. Seems like it. I, I try to do that, you know. Uh, the maturity of, you know, age and mind are probably not always linked, but they often can be. Um, in knife makers and you see that in skill certainly you know the longer you do anything um, even if you are a master level knife maker you're always unhappy with your work thankfully for the rest of us and that means you just continue to build you know better and better work that you're a little more happy with well I keep trying and I guess as long as people are ordering and buying uh, I'll keep on delivering as long as I can see that's uh I think that's I think that's the that's the way to do it uh yeah for sure there's just no no end in sight as long as the customers are still hungry (laughs) yeah that's a good way to put it (laughs) (laughs) um is there is there anything that we haven't gone over that that you wanted to go over did I miss anything? Any details? I mean, it's impossible to cover one person's entire life, um, but, you know, we try. Um, Not that I can think of. I think we <laughs> I kind of started out with my first uh, youngest days is having a knife up until just recently, and uh, it's evolved, and, and I hope I'm not through evolving. I mean, you know, I always want my next knife to be better than my last one. And to be honest with you, I'm rarely, rarely, rarely ever happy with a knife when I'm through with it. I can look at it and I will pick it to pieces. And my wife keeps telling me, if you'd take those glasses off, you couldn't see all those scratches. (laughs) (laughs) She does say that, I promise. (laughs) I said, yeah, but if I can see them, I know they're on there. That's right. See exactly. Yep. Yep. That's uh, it's a good good partner to have. You know. Some... <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's. 
I couldn't ask for a better one there as far as support goes. Whew. There you go. Very cool. Um, well, you know, uh, uh, on, on that note, I want to, I want to thank you, you know, so much for, for taking time, uh, out of your, out of your day, out of your schedule, um, to, to sit down with me. I, I really, uh, I genuinely, I genuinely appreciate it. Um, what, uh, what's the, what's the best way for people to, to find your work and, and to see your work and to contact you? Uh, I've probably got more pictures uh, on my website at stoutknives.com. Um, I try to stay pretty active on Facebook uh, and Instagram. Not not as active. Uh, oh, I did take a picture of the uh, microphone today with a deal. I don't know if you saw that or not. On I, Facebook, I, I did, and I did indeed. I need to. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I thought maybe that's what you had in mind, but I wasn't sure, so I thought, well, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I think pretty much we've covered it. Yeah, uh, and I, I appreciate you just taking the time to even have me on here. I, I've enjoyed it. Absolutely, yeah. That's um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to record as much history as I can. I'm, I'm worried that, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want the history to disappear without, without it being recorded. Yeah. Um, I fear I've, I've missed some crucial points and I'm trying to make sure that I don't miss any more. Sure. Um, well, I, I appreciate it. Anything I can do for you or with you or whatever in the future, just give me a shout. Absolutely. And, and your, and your website is a good place to look for the schedule for the classes. Uh, Yes. Yes. I've got a, uh, like, I don't think I've got anything. Well, I've got one student coming in February, but I think, uh, my classes are on there. My available knives are on there for sale. Uh, and there's hundreds and hundreds of pictures. If anybody just wants to look at pictures of knives, uh, uh, they're on there under archive or one of those links on there. My contact information is there, email, phone number, etc. So, uh, but yeah, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time and doing this. I've enjoyed it. I hope it was worthwhile for you. Absolutely, it very much was. Uh, I want to thanks again for coming on, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll be in touch. Thank thank you very okay. much. Okay. Have a good night.